Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns. This is episode 133, 133. And as always, if you ever have any questions or comments, you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean, or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. So let's get 133 underway. Oh, and just to tell you, we usually bust this thing into about three segments. The first is uh, Second Amendment and gun culture news. The um, next part is the critiques of some things we see out in the gun culture. And the third is questions and answers. And the questions come from you. Or they're ones that, that are just posed to me as, as uh, I wander through life. So here we go. The first thing to talk about is of course pain in the Ukraine and pain in the Ukraine is uh, really you know there's no upside to this it, it is horrible for everyone involved whether you're a Ukrainian citizen now refugee or a person who's just trying to stick it out uh, quality of life has just changed drastically a Ukrainian you know military fighter i mean they're they're asked to do something that's nearly impossible and i also feel sorry for the russian servicemen who basically are going in there thought one thing and were told some things that turned out not to be true and of course there's always the russian civilians who are now um under the weight of the economic sanctions and and bearing the brunt of that i mean sanctions hurt the people they don't hurt the people in charge they don't hurt the leaders they hurt the people and that may seem small compared to what's happening in the ukraine but it's pretty dramatic effect nonetheless i think in this country the most disturbing things it's it's become the new the neocon war the people who want to push the defense industry because they know hey all those javelin missiles for instance that uh, go to ukraine to get shot at tanks um, somebody has to buy those and pay for those. Somebody somebody buys them after someone makes them and pays for them. So uh, they know they're gonna. This is a big cash cow, and keeping this going is a cash cow. The most humane thing that uh, it's very unpopular. Nobody says it, but the most humane thing for the people involved is probably not to give this military aid and turn this into some long-term proxy war which is really what it's it could turn into although that's what they want us to believe but i i don't think that it's true a lot of the generals you see on the the as who are now talking heads and big experts the people who couldn't bring about quick victory in iraq or afghanistan are now the big experts on warfare people who basically had their shot and blew it. This is like taking advice from a, a manager whose baseball team finishes in last place. I mean, these guys, they don't have it. They can't do it. They couldn't do it. And, you know, to accept that they know what they're talking about is making an incredible leap. So I don't believe any of them. Uh, I also don't believe the wildly exaggerated Russian casualties. I mean, you know, they're talking 10, 15,000. And frankly, in everything I see, I'm not seeing that. I don't see that kind of conflict. Um, the level of combat just isn't there. So when these 
when these idiots are telling us, well, they've lost 10% of their attacking force, they're basically on those the wildly inflated claims of the Ukrainians. And why do the Ukrainians wildly inflate them? Well, the more success they're perceived to have, the more aid they think they will get. So it's, it is in their best interest. They have a, a vested interest in saying, oh yeah, we're, we're killing them in droves, and if we just had a little more, if we just had some more, we could we could uh, we could win this, and and you know that's that's human nature. There's nothing nothing evil about that. You can you can just say that's that's they're doing everything they can to get as much as they can. Um, you know I think that um, you know it's cute the little stories about a guy stole a, a supply truck, or you know they found a broken down tank and a farmer pulled it away with a tractor, but that's not the story of the combat in this conflict <clears throat> and uh, you know it is a very very tough place and it is obviously going to become a just this grinding you know long-term operation in fact if you do any real analysis and you look at the map of Ukraine and what Russia occupies and what they don't occupy if you essentially take out the western half of the country which they've not shown any uh, um, ability or will to to take over the western half of Ukraine has been basically maybe a few air raids but it's basically untouched but you look at the eastern half of the country and you can see the Russians probably control about half of the eastern part of the country and if you include Crimea, which which they occupied in 2014, it's it's even more. So, you know, they can look at that map and, and say, is it the success they would have hoped for? No, but is it success nonetheless? And I would say that, that it is. But we have, you know, and, and that is what it is. And, and there's a lot of that analysis. What I'm saying is just don't look and listen and accept just right on face value what a lot of these guys are saying they're just trying to get their old faces onto television try to be relevant it's either that or they they sit on their fat retirements and you know collect stamps or something so that's the that's part of that deal and we have more virtue signaling and this time it's actually it's actually comical in some ways. Um, everybody in the gun community knows that Keltec is kind of a low-end manufacturer. Um, they're they're certainly better than High Point. They're certainly better than <laughs> Jennings, Brico, you know, Jimenez. Remember those things? I don't even think those are around anymore. But so Keltec, apparently, the story is, and I'm not sure I actually believe this. The story is they had this customer in the Ukraine, in air quotes, who um, was going to was going to buy 400 Keltec sub 2000 carbines, which is a pistol caliber carbine that folds in half. If you Google the thing, you see, you know, not a, not a bad gun in many ways. Certainly not. Here's what it is not. It is not fully automatic, so it's 
a semi-automatic pistol caliber carbine that kind of folds up and you can put in a backpack um, or in a little storage compartment or something. Um, perhaps not a bad gun for that kind of a use, although you know you kind of wonder what is re the real purpose of something like that. It's not a great defensive gun. It's not you know, is it a gun that you would use in a survival situation? You know, if your your truck breaks down in the middle of nowhere and you've got this, can you forage for food with it? I think you'd probably be better off with a 22. But anyway, um, it is what it is. It's a nine millimeter fold in half carbine that has the usual signs of a Keltec weapon, which is a lot of polymer. You know, a kind of a dark finished polymer. You know, it is what it is. Now this thing um, is not a weapon that's been adopted by any military or any police department. You know, warning sign number one. And the, the next thing is, obviously, it, you know, it has not gone through that kind of testing and and you know ex use experience. So you know, it's really it's really a very very commercial grade type of a type of a deal certainly does not really in my opinion have a place in a war zone I mean you're not doing anybody big favors but they had 400 of these a guy in the Ukraine was gonna buy them he went silent <laughs> probably probably had uh, probably came back to his senses and so what they're doing is they're gonna donate them to the Ukraine now there's a whole bunch of of problems with this number one I just talked about the gun the gun itself is not suited for combat and, and you could say and it's legit to say well it's better than nothing but effectively outside of the Smith & Wesson light rifle in 1940 uh, no one has seriously looked at a semi-automatic 9mm carbine as a military weapon it just it's just not powerful enough um, and, and there's a bunch of other problems one of the other problems is hey what kind of magazines does it take um, I believe it takes 33 round Glock magazines and I think you can actually at one time I think they were selling this with the idea that you could get some adapters and, and use different types of pistol magazines in it the problem is pistol magazines usually are about 15 rounds um, there are some 17 rounders and you can even get some 20 rounders uh, you know occasionally here and there but outside of the Glock 33 rounder I don't know that there's a whole lot of ones that would make the carbine great you know it just I don't know so you have that and you also you know anyone who knows anything about military weapons knows that the magazines take a beating they take a serious beating and that's the part that's gonna wear out much faster than anything else I mean the uh, the magazines go bad that's why most militaries consider them semi disposable items you know, you use it till it kind of wears out. You throw it away. You go to the supply room and get a new one. Um, they they don't last uh, the the life of the weapon. Now there are some very robust magazine designs out there: the G3, the M14, and the, and the FAL steel magazines um, are all very very robust, and they can last a very very long time. But but the truth of the matter is, in in the modern in in the modern world here of of 2022 
most magazines are some somehow polymer and they take a beating they stick down below the level of the gun so when you flop on your belly to shoot prone it, it usually takes some abuse um, or they're banging around in magazine pouches or you know potentially getting squished or you know just it's just plastic or or light metal and it, it can bend under time it, small stresses can bend it so magazines are usually semi-disposable so unless they're going to ship a ton of magazines with these things I, I guarantee that if these things ever see the light of day in the ukraine which which i'm still doubtful for uh i would i would say that uh you know you're going to see a bunch of them that are you know sitting in a corner somewhere with no magazines because they've been worn out or broken or or whatever else or if you have one you have a single magazine with it um not that these things should be anywhere near any kind of frontline fighting in a, in an AK world. And, and frankly, I don't see a tremendous shortage of weapons in the Ukraine. It looks like everybody who wants one has got a hold of an AK of some sort or another. And I'm sure that there's some 5.56 weapons and a few other things floating in there. But um, there doesn't appear to be a chronic weapon shortage. So the, this is just virtue signaling. Um, one YouTube creator who shall remain nameless did a live stream and I posed the question about these. I said, hey, look, why don't they just sell them here as the Ukraine model? Take the money and donate it to the Ukrainians. And this creator, he was on with his wife and, and she she answered the question. Oh, well, they need the weapons. Ship it to them. And it's like, that's the kind of stupid thinking. I, I was just laughing so freaking hard I could hardly control myself. That's the kind of stupid thinking that have. S send them something. Um, a related story about something not nearly as is the when I was in Iraq, one of the things that <laughs> when my unit got there we inherited was this big storage container filled with old shoes. And it's like, what the hell is this? And it turns out that some of the do-gooders. Um, in the unit before us had solicited all their friends and on social media which was nascent at the time but it did exist to send their you know their shoes their old shoes so that they could be distributed to Iraq needy Iraqis now on the surface that sounds like a very nice thing to do the problem with that was they were sending it through the military system which is not the military mail system is not designed for the transportation of humanitarian goods, which these clearly were. So um, we essentially stopped that and said, no, this stuff can't come this way. No. And the other, I mean, and people were trying to, they were trying to sell, you know, ship baseball equipment and all kinds of other crud that the Iraqis didn't want or couldn't use. But it makes the people donating feel good. Same thing with these old shoes. The Iraqis, you know, they'll, yeah, they'll take anything and they'll, they'll take it but they did not see it as an act of tremendous generosity they looked at us like we're super rich people anyway and here we are giving them our cast offs and they were actually kind of insulted by that so you know it, it always goes to who really benefits from a donation like this and i would say that this is a way caltech can a get a lot of free publicity get a lot of good free publicity feel good about something they're doing and, and probably dump these 400 weapons and take some sort of a 
loss or some there's there's some there, there's got to be some economic benefit to them to do this because you know frankly just the shipping and and, and hassle getting it to the right place exporting it all of that stuff is going to be so problematic why would you do it i would i would sell it here and give them the money and let them go buy ak's from romania you know <clears throat> something that would actually do them some good um now before you think that i'm just a hater and i hate the Celtech sub 2000 i i don't think conceptually it's not a bad gun i have a ruger nine um, millimeter what is it pc9 yeah pc9 you can see how often i use it and think about it um it just stays oiled up in the the back of a safe um pc9 is a good gun um nine millimeter has some use uh, i find that it's not a great rifle round. usually anything within range that you're going to shoot with a nine millimeter you could shoot with a 22 and a 22 is much much better in my my opinion uh, a 1022 is probably a much better rifle to use than a pc9 um and that kind of even goes for people too i mean um it, it's just it's it's not the weight does not justify the lack of power that that gun has that gun has a lack of power when it comes to anything else you got a 3030 with factory loads you got something that's much more powerful and much better in my opinion even a 45 colt liver gun is much better um you know it's it's a i certainly would not use that it would not be my first choice for self-defense i'm not saying i wouldn't use it wouldn't be my first choice um it's probably one of those better than no gun type of options but when you compare it to other things that are available it it probably doesn't compare very well but you know the only possible use i would have for something like that and i don't do this but if you had a gun that you just exclusively kept in a vehicle um you know in a protective case so it wouldn't because things that wind up in vehicles especially guns can get lint and dust and crud and then when you want to pull them out and use them they're they're not in they're not in a ready state to be used but for something like that i i could understand it i mean i could understand it but i i think that there are other options that i'd i'd rather use and i certainly imagine imagine how lucky you're going to be in an ak world and somehow you're the ukrainian person that gets handed one of these i mean i, I mean i suppose you could give them to like grandmothers i suppose you could give them to like truck drivers or something i mean but i can't think of anything that the compactness of this weapon would have because it's certainly not caliber it's certainly not the sights it's certainly not any even the compactness does that does that uh make it a better option than than any ak you could grab your put your hands on and i would say no so more virtue signaling especially from Caltech and the fools that think that if we just send them enough stuff doesn't matter if it's the right stuff but if we send them enough stuff it'll all be okay and the answer is it won't it just won't 
Next thing I just want to talk about real quick, um, if you've been looking at any of the gun magazines, and you know, those things are three or four months behind, you know, because of production time and everything. The big scandal on that, here was the big scandal, and it's not really a scandal. In 1980, was it 1989 there, or 1988, there, there was one of the most renowned gun writers, a guy named Skeeter Skelton, had been in the hospital very, very ill. And I think it was a lot of it was uh, alcohol related. Um, anyway, he uh, he was in the hospital. He was he was very seriously ill, and then he he got out and came out, and they put put together a big a big edition. Skeeter's back. Skeeter Skelton is back. Well, Skeeter Skelton um, basically. You know, he then like a month and a half later, he died. And this magazine saying Skeeter's back came out after he died, which was a, a lot of people took real umbrage to that. But, you know, that's just kind of the way the deadlines and the way the, the production time of one of those magazines works. So, you know, right now they're all hyping the high power. The high power has returned. The Browning high power, the, high, the GP35, whatever you want to call it. And it's it's a it's a great gun. I mean, make no mistake. Um, it's one of those guns that has been made in a lot of different places. Um, I'm sure Argentina, Brazil, Canada. Obviously, the original in Belgium, Hungary. I think they're now made in Turkey. I don't know what the Springfield ones. I don't know if those are Turkish guns that they've just rebranded or what the deal is. Don't know. But, um, you know, no matter who makes it, the design is so good. They made some in Portugal, too. I think they were under FN contract. They made them in Portugal, too. Um, no matter who make, makes it, they're quality guns. They're really good. The design is excellent. I think Israel made some, too. Israel made some. And, and a couple of the countries have changed um, the design a little bit. But it's still so sound that it really is a good gun as long as you got good materials you follow that design you've got a, a really good handgun and so they're really going going to town and a lot of people are rediscovering the goodness of the browning high power um, a gun that was never tremendously popular in the united states it was known but it was never tremendously popular it was always in the 1911 shadow um, and then when 9mm became popular, of course, the Wonder 9s came out, and the Browning being a single-action design and holding 13 rounds instead of 15 or 18, um, you know, it, it, never, it never had the opportunity to be the preeminent 9mm pistol. But it's always been a strong contender. It's always, been, it's always had a, a following... And it's always been a very, very good pistol. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are rediscovering that. A lot of people are rediscovering metal frame, old school designs. Um, the 1911, of course, has always remained ascendant because of the just the excellence of its design. But a lot of people talk about the goodness, even the old Smith & Wesson autos that people used to kind of make fun of. Um, which I think are actually fantastic guns. I think they were actually excellent guns. 
but a lot of you know those 70s 80s and even 90s steel or alloy framed guns um, are really excellent and the Beretta will come around too. the Beretta still got a following it will become popular also and you know it's interesting to understand what that what that is I think it's two things I think it's perceived value you know a metal gun an all-steel gun feels more substantial it feels well made it has it has mass it has perceived value um, that a polymer gun just doesn't really have polymer guns have utility in a lot of things but do they really have that feeling of value and quality and I, I would say that they, they just do not I would also say that one of the one of the uniform remarks I hear that everybody makes is these guns well the, the triggers are so good on them you know even even the regular 1911s people used to just absolutely weasel and complain and whine about the um, triggers on 1911s nobody does that anymore because compared to the polymer frame guns they're actually pretty darn good even the even the most basic models you take a the Gearson or Tesis 1911 you know GI 1911 clone from Turkey or the Rock Island from the Philippines and compared to you know service guns today they have a very good trigger pull so um, you know and the Browning high power is the same way Browning high power is the same way um, especially if it does not have the magazine disconnect which is something that was in there that kind of messed up the uh, um, the trigger pull a little bit but to to get beyond that to get beyond that it is making a renaissance uh, people understand people I think know that I don't really need ultra high capacity I don't really need an 18 shot pistol um, policemen might find that valuable um, I think most everyone else who uses a handgun probably does not um, a better trigger pull better balance and the perceived quality are, are bringing these back they're bringing these back and frankly the polymer frame guns aren't that cheap anymore so now the the all steel or all metal frame uh, guns are are price competitive so um, it'll be very interesting to see how this all develops and how it all turns out but I think this may be just a blip on the screen but um, there's a couple other signs that it's that's kind of coming around and we're gonna cover those in a minute one of them is the uh, SIG P210 carry uh, that's got an alloy frame but it's basically a, a truncated P210 single stack 9 millimeter carry gun fixed sights um, it's amazing that that gun even exists why why would it um, and I think again is it because there's this hardcore p210 fan base out there and the answer is no the answer is it's got accuracy it's got a great trigger and I think that people like both those things uh, plus it's you know it's SIG's flagship model and I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those people. They're not going to make them forever. But 
as long as they're making them it's probably a good thing to buy this will be an interesting very variation and this will be a collector's item if you're going to buy a sig as a matter of fact buying any sig p210 is great you go with the traditional the older the older ones that were made in switzerland and europe they're a great investment uh they're just great guns great piece of history and uh very very nice and awesome um the newer ones that are made in the states are just the same quality and um they're excellent guns uh you're not gonna you know once the target model goes away that's gonna become a gun that's a gun that'll cost you 14 or 1500 dollars but it shoots like a four or five thousand dollar custom gun so there you go i mean <laughs> you know look at the value uh, the P210 carry model will be a rare variation, and that will be something that, you know, will be very cool to have and own. And it's kind of one of those things, kind of like the uh, HK P7 is now, only it's going to be a lot more rare. You know, it's going to be a very cool gun that not a lot of people are really that aware of, and that's going to be uh, very highly respected by professionals. So p210 alloy frame yet another uh sign just like the return of the high power that the metal frame and even single stack handguns are coming back and the last one is what they call 2011s which are the high capacity nine millimeter 1911s um the fact that they even exist is is bizarre because they're competing directly with guns that are supposedly a lot better you know glocks and all the rest so i i really i wonder if there has been a detected i don't want to say weakness but a detected need for something better quality that does effectively the same thing because why would you buy a 2011 you can say well it's just these just these geezers who like 1911s yeah but those geezers basically like them in 45 i mean it, there's no there's no real impetus why you would have a double stack nine millimeter 1911 other than it's got a better safety it's got a better trigger it's got better better balance to it there's a whole a whole bunch of reasons that people have been talking about that have been getting poo-pooed by the now the internet and you know kind of the tactical community all these reasons that have been poo-pooed seem to be now important and seem to be fueling a revival of some traditional guns even if they're like the 2011 and have kind of a modern twist which is a double stack nine millimeter you know so high capacity nine millimeter 1911 so those are some interesting uh, interesting things i do have one correction um as i was listening to the last podcast i mistakenly said that i did not size my 32 winchester special brass in point of fact i actually do what i do is i neck sized the brass and i i misspoke i was you know going down my notes and, and doing things and i actually misspoke i do neck size the brass because i only have one thirty-two winchester special rifle 
I don't know anybody who has more than one or why they would have more than one. But um, so I really only neck size it. And when you're using cast bullet loads that, you know, are you powered by unique powder, um, you don't get a lot of case. You don't get any stretching or or um, weird expansion or anything that would require a full length sizing. But you do need to neck size. Um, yeah, I think I mistakenly said that you know I don't need I don't actually need to do that um, because I'm using a 323 bullet and it will get reasonable neck tension so I don't even have to do that but I do that because I get really good neck tension when I neck when I neck size the brass and I do get neck good neck tension with the bullet so that as it passes through the uh, the lever action mechanism the bullet does not get pushed back into the there's no there's almost there's no chance of that so that's what I that's what it is all right let's move to our next section which is questions and answers and this actually came to me at work by a guy who um, he owns some land and he wanted to know what steel targets do you recommend for a private range? Um, you know, that, the, the operative word there is private range. I'm a member of a gun club, and part of the problem with that is they um, have some very, very strict rules. You can have your own steel targets and use them, but they have to be approved. They have to be certified every year. You have to display the certification. There's a whole there's a whole thing you have to go through. It's... Uh, it, the juice isn't worth the squeeze but on my own property I'm able to do it and and I've used a variety of ones the the key isn't the targets the key is how you hang them and um, I, I've bought several of the the, the um, targets and what I'll say is if, if you buy a 3 8 inch um, AR 500 target 3 8 inch thick those are all pretty good and and you can get them from the bigger manufacturers like Birchwood Casey and and um, a few others sell them there's also uh, some that are you know you can just you look on eBay and there's guys selling them um, or on Amazon you know somebody in their Amazon store is selling them uh, you know you can get those and whether you know some come powder coated which doesn't really matter because you're gonna shoot the the coating off anyway but, um, uh, you know, so you, if you buy the, the most economical ones to buy are the bare steel ones. They come and then you paint them and, you know, you kind of keep them painted and, and you'll keep the rust away. Uh, that's, those work great. Um, I do have a half inch AR 500 uh, uh, gong that's, uh, yeah, is that 15 inches? Yeah, it's 15 inches. And that's simply so I can shoot at it from very long distance. And... Um, I shot 6.5 Creedmoor, 400 yards on it, and it didn't even dimple the uh, the steel. So that's that's going to last a while. But understand, they are somewhat consumable. If you shoot 5.56 at close range on those things, um, you will crater and dimple the target. Um, I I believe that um, you know you should never do that. Really, you should be basically be uh, 75 or 100 yards and that way you don't damage the target the reason is because when you crater a target 
you, you could get some weird deflections or ricochets off it. So um, that's that's kind of the story with that. Um, so they're, they come in a variety of sizes. Most of them are round, but you can get the uh, silhouette ones. I got one of the silhouette ones. But the thing that's key is how you get it. And, and um, there are stands you can buy. You actually buy the connectors, get your own aluminum tubing, and you put together a stand and you can hang them uh, from the stand. You know, it's two end pieces and then a long piece in the middle and you can hang the targets from the long piece in the middle. Uh, th those work really, really well and they're a lot of fun to shoot. And uh, that's a way to go. Another way I do it is I'll take um, two fence posts, you know, just the cheap, you know, the green fence posts with the white top. You can get them at Tractor Supply or... Oshlands or any any kind of place that sells you know kind of agricultural fencing stuff and I just put them uh, essentially a couple of feet apart probably three feet apart I put some chain in between them and then I hang that the uh, large gong off of off of both of those and um, that works very well that works very well and um, you know there's all kinds of ways you can hang a gong target you can most of the time they usually have the two eyelets on the top and you can suspend it with chain uh, that works pretty well uh, another thing that people have used are um, old inner tubes um, if you watch the nine hole what's his name henry chan he he shoots at a range where they have him suspended um, by using the uh, um, inner tubes and that that's pretty that's a pretty good way to do it too. So um, that's not a private range though. I do believe he shoots at some sort of a club or or uh, range um, private club or, or public range that does that. So those are the targets I use. They're a lot of fun. Uh, you got to you know the safety has to be that you got to wear you got to wear eyes, got to wear ear ear pro, ear pro eye pro, and you have to uh, um, you know stay back at least at least 10 yards i think 10 to 15 yards 10 yards is a little close for me i like about 15 yards and 25 yards is perfect so that's the answer to what i use and how i use them and how i hang them okay who is the most knowledgeable and best gun writer today the answer is i don't know i i don't really read that much uh, i read handloader magazine is about the best one so uh, I like those the guys who write for that. They they know a lot about hand loading and they answer a lot of good questions. So I would say anybody who writes for Hand Loader Magazine is probably really good. We don't have the Elmer Keith, Charles Askins, what was his name, Jack O'Connor, Skeeter Skelton, Elmer Keith, and, and the list goes on. I mean, you know. Basically, the heyday of gun writing was in the 70s and 80s, and um, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Jeff Cooper, all those guys, and we don't have anything like that. We now have the 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 internet content creators are they're not nearly as flamboyant. They're not nearly as uh, uh, interesting as people or as <laughs> you know experts so they're not that great on either um, 
on either count. So that's that's how I would would put that. So I would tell you that you know for for writing, um, definitely, you know you can look around and and see who the most popular ones are. For historical World War II U.S. stuff, Bruce Canfield can't be beat. He's he the guy is awesome. He is awesome. And uh, you know, but other than that, um, you know, I just like the hand loading stuff. So that's what I would say. All right, what is your opinion of 50 BMG rifles? Uh, I think I think they're for most uses. They're foolish. Um, they're horrifically expensive to buy. They're horrifically expensive to feed. They're extremely hard on accessories like bipods and scopes. Uh, they can be a lot of fun. I mean, the only reason to own a 50 caliber rifle is because, not because of the accuracy, because it really doesn't possess uh, the kind of accuracy. You can you can find much better choices for accurate, for extended long range accuracy. You can find much better choices than the 50 BMG. Um, and, and I can't go into all the real reasons why that is, but there are bullets and calibers that are specifically designed to hit things well past a thousand yards. And that's, if you want to do that, that's what you should get. 50 BMG, the only magic there is the destructive power of the cartridge. Now, most of us in our shooting, destructive power on that magnitude of that magnitude is just not important. Uh, I'm not shooting trucks. I'm not trying to damage some key piece of infrastructure. And, you know, that, that, that kind of brings me back as I'm thinking through this. You know, the military really bought them as anti-material rifles. Uh, the Air Force originally bought Barrett's because if, you know, you got an airfield and guess what? There's a bomb, unexploded ordnance stuck in the middle of the uh, runway. You know, it's not the old it's not the old thing where you go out there and, hey, do I cut the red wire or the blue wire? You know, nothing like that. It's, you know, they'll just as soon shoot it and detonate it and have a bulldozer go there, fill in the hole, and then start taking off and landing their airplanes again. It, it's not... That's what that's what it was originally purchased for by the Air Force. The other services, the ground services, got onto it because it's a good anti-material rifle. Hey, you could be several hundred yards away from an enemy air defense radar or something that's very very vital, and you can shoot it full of 50 caliber holes and break it. And you know that's that was a mission set that they had. Uh, you you know especially if you have weather. And you can't get in any kind of, uh, or the the uh, risk is too great to use um, any uh, some other kind of weapon. That that's a system that could be used, or and it's also immediately responsive if you have the have the rifle. So if you see the target of opportunity, hey, you can you can damage it. You don't have to call something in and hope that it gets there in time. So the the raw destructive power is the only reason to have it. Uh, there were. And there are other contenders there too. There's there used to be a place, and I think they're still around. I, I think I saw their. Um, I looked them up uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. It was called Anzio Ironworks, and they produced 20 millimeter cannon caliber uh, rifles. Now these things are they're immense. I mean, they're, there's a, a picture of a guy. He's probably six feet taller, or maybe even taller. And this thing is is at least 12 inches taller than he is 
so I assume these things are seven or eight feet long um, and you can get them in a variety they, they do make smaller models in 50 caliber I think they even make smaller 20 millimeter ones but they have hellacious muzzle brakes on them they actually I think have even used Soviet 14.5 and they've also used um, Soviet 14.5 neck down to 50 caliber you know but again these are not precision weapons these are designed to thump something hard so they may not have the range that people think that they have I, I ran across a guy one time he was telling me he goes I got this great long-range rifle and this is years ago before long-range became what it is today and he was telling me he was gonna hit targets six and seven hundred eight hundred yards away with it and I said great what is it And he goes well it's a win a 458 Winchester Magnum and I go well that's not a long-range caliber that's not that's not it and he goes but it's so powerful and I go hey it's designed to kill a large animal basically up close it is not designed to launch bullets a long long way and I go even the design of your guns not that you got you know kind of a sporter barrel you, your your gun is designed for carrying not he completely didn't understand the difference between the two and a lot of people fall into that trap with 50 caliber they think they're going to shoot two two or three thousand yards away well on a large enough target you you might be able to do that but and i'm talking about a large enough target being a barn <laughs> you know or something of that size I mean, you're you're just they just don't have the guilt edge accuracy. I have heard, and I don't know it's true, but I've heard that most of the semi-automatic Barretts are like three MOA guns. So if that's true, you're talking about a three-inch group at 100 yards. At 300 yards, you're talking a nine-inch group, and you know you can interpolate that out so that you can see, yeah, if you're hitting a truck at a thousand yards, that's that's going to be fine. But if you're trying to hit the guy in the cab, that's not fine. That's probably not going to work. So I, I'm not really big into 50 cal. I, I think that the rounds cost um, probably, what, 5 to $10 a piece, depending on what they are, ball ammunition up. So, I mean, that's just, that's getting to be an eccentric, a very eccentric piece of equipment. And, and you don't see them around anymore like you did. You know, for a while there, for about 10 years, they were much more numerous than they are now. Now I think people have caught on to it and they've kind of given it away. And in fact, the last couple I've seen have been used ones for sale. So that should tell you something. The, uh, the only other kind of uh, thing that fits into this is the, uh, there are guys who buy the semi-automatic Browning H2 h2m no browning hb m2 hbs m2 hbs here i fired that weapon a lot and i can't even remember the nomenclature but i think they call it an m3 hb it's a semi-automatic only version um i i know somebody who bought one and frankly i was unimpressed it's as, as much fun and cool and it's got incredible cool factor and all those things when you look at the practicality of owning it, the weight, the cleaning of the thing, the, the maintenance it requires, um, 
you know everything on it is big and heavy and and this this guy is getting in his late 60s it's like hey you want to you want to carry around a 60 or 70 pound uh, receiver and you know the tripod the pintle the tia i mean all that stuff's fun it turns out it will be just like these guys who buy belt fed machine guns the first year they own it they take it out like three three or four times the next year they own it they take it out twice the third year they own it they take it out once and then they don't shoot it for like five years you know because it's such a a safari to get this thing and all of its all of its equipment out to the out to the range it's big it's heavy it's long and 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 you got to buy special accessories you got to buy a special case for it you know it won't fit in a regular rifle case and, and all the rest of it and just just the logistics and and hassle of transporting and setting up and tearing down and cleaning and all that is a uh, um you know it, it takes some of the fun once the cool factor and novelty kind of wear off then you're left with a lot of uh, a lot of drudgery and a lot of tedious work okay looking for future ammo availability what calibers would you avoid um, I don't have a crystal ball so I don't really know I would stay away in handgun calibers I would stay away from 45 gap which people have been doing a good job staying away from so far I'd stay away from 30 caliber super carry known as aka 30 caliber stupid carry I'd stay away from that I'd stay away from 357 sig I would stay away from 40 Smith & Wesson uh, I say that reservedly because I, I kind of I th always I don't have one but I think it's kind of a cool caliber uh, 10 millimeters a close call uh, I, I just look you, you look now I mean what what's hard the way to the way to, to phrase this question and actually you got to take a trip to three or four Cabela's and a few other places just see what's available and what's not um, and and I'm push the obsolete and older calibers out of there you know okay you can always say 38 Smith and Wesson you know you can always say um, this that or the other thing you can always say 38 short Colt you know you can always say that the obsolete stuff is always going to be the last to come in because the market for it is infinitesimally small um, but of the commonly available guns I would stay away from those and 30 super carry is not commonly available they're going to try to push it and it's going to be a you know it's a flash in the pan uh, 5 5.7 by 28 I'd stay away from that and the reason I'd stay away from that is because even if you have a big supply of ammo um, that's gonna be like reloading for a rifle you know basically being a bottlenecked case you're not gonna have the nice little carbide dies you're gonna have to do all this other stuff it's not gonna be a lot of fun to 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 do all that and what are you really getting so uh, I'd stay away from that too but I would go just walk through a store and see what's available um, obviously there's nine millimeter and there's five five six same thing with rifles um, people talking this six millimeter arc and and six point eight and all the rest of this smack that they talk about this about these boutique calibers stay away from because you're gonna own an AR in a caliber that you can't find ammo for 
Whereas if you had it in 5.56, you're going to be able to get ammo for it. Right now you can get, you can buy all the 5.56 you want. If you got money, you can buy all the 5.56 you want. Um, can you buy 6.8? Can you find it? And if you do, is it some sort of, you know, hunting load that, that costs three or four or five times as much as a box of ball 5.56? Economically, 5.56 makes a lot of sense if you're into ARs. I don't own an AR that's not in 5.56 for precisely that reason. Precisely that reason. So I would stay away from the stuff. you. If you can't get it now, stay away from it stay away from it and it hurts it hurts me because uh 32 winchester special which we were talking about earlier you know haven't seen any factory for that if i do if i do find some i'm sure it'll be old dead stock that has been around because the guns just aren't around you can find 3030 that's a much better alternative um you can find a lot of these you know, you might find a box or two of these of this old stuff, but it's it's hard and it's expensive when you do. So, uh, stay away from anything you can't buy right now is my is my advice. Okay, do you still have no confidence in lasers and optical sights on handguns? It's not that I don't have confidence in them. It's just that I I don't think. I don't think they help my personal marksmanship. Um, I'm better when I I'm much faster when I grab when I go after iron sights and acquire a target than I am trying to find. First of all, trying to find a laser in bright light is is almost impossible. In low light, I can understand home defense. Low light, it does have a an application. Uh, same thing a little bit with. Uh, the optical side, I understand there's a learning curve that you got to go through. I don't care to go through that. Um, here's my problem with them. I'll, I'll tell you straight up. Whenever I pick up any weapon that's got an optical sight of any type on it, what's the first question that goes through your mind? Is this thing sighted in or is this thing still sighted in? And a lot of times you got to go out and you kind of confirm the zero. You know, I mean, you confirm that it's still on. And sometimes, surprise, surprise, you can find that it is not currently uh, hitting to point of aim. So, um, and, and you know, iron sights, adjustable iron sights, very rarely, but sometimes can exhibit that, you know, if, the, if, if it's been knocked or if it's been, you know, something's happened or someone has played with it in between the last time it was shot. Um, so you could have you could have that, but it's much 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 smaller. And with fixed sights, it it doesn't exist at all. I mean, I've got a fixed sight 1911. It it shoots where it shoots, and it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's where it shoots. So I um, I just don't want that level of complexity in a handgun that I'm going to use at super close range anyway. Um, you know, I, I understand that gamers use these things because it can give them, once they train with it, it can give them an edge uh, in time and speed. I understand that. But I will also say that the next kind of, and, and if you're a person who's looking and saying, well, society may not stay the way it is right now, therefore, um, you know, if things go really, really bad and, and 
maybe there just isn't a little chaz in your city maybe the whole city has become a chaz or maybe your whole town is is got people who come are coming from the big city chaz doing things and you're gonna have to engage in a lot more survival type shooting um, I would say look more at Ukraine than look at three gun or you know IPSC or IPDA or any of that look more at Ukraine and say they are using iron sights there you see very very few optical sights you know and that's because when things get serious and the rubber meets the road reliability dependability and ease of use are going to trump some of these some of these cute little things they've got i mean i understand i think even the marines are are, are trying to mount the uh um an optical sight on their their pistols that that's going to work until you hear that sickening little crunch sound and pull out your pistol and realize that nothing that that's not <laughs> on there and working anymore you know uh Everyone who has been around weapons and used them in a serious manner, and I'm sure the police, some can probably attest to this, there is a time when you hear that sickening crunch and something that's supposed to work no longer works. Whether it's the flashlight on your gun, whether it's some other thing. And uh, um, I'm sure there are hunters who have dropped a hunting rifle and lo and behold that beautiful scope that they've been you know very proud of and bragging to people about is now junk okay now sometimes you can help that sometimes you can't but what I'm saying is a good iron sight gun with is not susceptible to that you know there's no optic to break so it's pretty good now it doesn't mean you can't you can't mess them up you certainly can but but they're much more durable and the sites are much more reliable and uh, you're gonna find that and the other thing is most uh, outside of the Steyr aug maybe and I'm sure there are a few others now but most uh, most rifles were designed as iron sight platforms so when you put optics on them you change the balance you change the weight you change some of the handling characteristics and sometimes that's not for the best uh, pistols I don't think you'll notice it that much but you will change the bulk and then you will have to wander around and try to find a holster that will accommodate whatever it is you put on that and I know that I think they're trying to standardize these cutouts on top for these uh, sites but I don't think they've completely done that yet so uh, you know that's that's another thing it's like how you, all of a sudden now you have another set of problems of I've got the sight I've got the gun and I, now I have to mate the two together and you know that, that just doesn't exist doesn't exist with iron sights um, look at the Ukraine nobody over there is whining about optical sights they're just not okay last question have you seen the new Marlin 95 SBL made by Ruger is it a good gun for self-defense well, any lever gun can be used for self-defense. This one looks pretty nice. It's 4570. Um, certainly a powerful enough caliber, a caliber that will also take down any four-legged things you need to take down. But uh, 4570 would be a great, 
Um, yeah, that's a good man stopper, that's for sure. And I don't know how many it holds, probably four with maybe one in the chamber, I guess. Maybe five with one in the chamber. Not a lot of capacity, but uh, certainly, um, certainly something formidable. It does have an integral scope rail, which completely ruins the looks. But um, it has that. It also looks like it comes with a ghost ring sight, which is pretty nice uh, for close range work. That's pretty nice. But, you know, with that rail on it, you can put whatever you want to on the top and, uh, you know, go from there. So, yeah, it looks it looks really good. Glad to see Marlin back. I think Marlin are, are just greatly underrated. I think they're marvelously designed guns. Uh, I have a 3840 that's... I hate to even think how old it is. It's got to be pre-World War One, And that thing shoots awesome um it's it's an awesome gun to have so um you know marlins are great and i really think that the uh, marlin 95 is great i would probably go for one that was traditional just because i'm a traditional guy i don't like modernized lever guns just don't like the look of them i understand why they make them but i just don't like the look of them and uh, i don't like cross bolt safeties I don't like I don't like the modern lawyer inspired safeties they put on even the modern reproductions of some lever guns so anyway that is it for this edition of old school guns again if you have any questions or comments leave them in the comments section on podbean or email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com kbmakel at aol.com and until next time this is old school guns out.